I want to invite you to reach for your Bibles now for our scripture reading. And uh, if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, we are still continuing in our series, Creative Access. And Chris is continuing on here and preaching from God's word here about persevering to advance the gospel in hard places. And we are in this section here in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. Notice what Paul says here in his final instructions and greetings. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace, and I just love this verse, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so, so much for being allowed to gather here in person even now under these new orders. We thank you that we can still do that. We thank you that we can uh, hear in person the preaching of your word now by Pastor Chris. And so, Lord, open up our hearts, open up our minds to see how these verses apply even to us today. And so, Lord, make our hearts tender, ready to receive, ready to evaluate our own lives, our own attitudes in relation to what Paul has written here about divisions in unity for the sake of the gospel. Use Pastor Chris again as your mouthpiece, as your servant. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we can affirm that God is good and all the time. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, Uh, We said that uh, hard times uh, are here, and they may get harder, and lo and behold, we have tighter restrictions. And the thing is about this pandemic, the lockdowns, the social distancing, the masks, the sickness, is this, all of it, is that they can become tools that Satan uses to divide the body of Christ. That which God has allowed in his sovereign providence as a test from him can also be a temptation that the devil uses to try and divide us. And there's just an underlying tension and sense of that. So today's message is a timely reminder for us here at LifeBridge to protect our gospel unity. And why is that? Because gospel unity is a precious gift in Christ. Amen? It is a precious gift in Christ. And Paul has already driven this point home with the 35 people who he greets or are giving greetings in verses 1 through 16 of this chapter in verses 21 through 23. We saw that last week, and we saw how repeatedly it's in the Lord, it's in Christ, it's to Christ, it's of Christ. 
In fact, it was this precious gift of unity in Christ that Paul emphasized and ended so beautifully in verse 16. Look at it in your Bibles. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I mean, it's just a kumbaya moment there, right? There's unity. There's harmony. And normally, Paul would continue on with verses 21 through 23 and send greetings from those who are with him. But no, boom, right in the middle of this beautiful gospel unity and loving harmony, Paul interrupts the unifying greetings to give a strong and urgent warning that gospel unity is a precious gift in Christ. But as a church, we must be vigilant To protect it. Look at verse 17. Now, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. I mean, didn't you just tell us to turn toward one another and give a holy kiss? No, turn away from those who are false teachers. See, it's not just the circumstances of this pandemic that threaten to destroy our unity. It is the threat of false teachers and their false teaching that we must watch out for and steer clear of. Now listen, Jesus himself warned us to not fear physical death as much as to fear spiritual death. And during this pandemic, I have often wondered how different churches in America, including our church, would be if we, as Christ followers, invested as much time, as much effort and thought in reaching the lost as we do in avoiding this virus. I want to warn you, as strongly as Paul warns the Romans, there is a greater threat than a physical virus that we as God's people should be focused on, and it is this, a spiritual virus that spreads faster than COVID when left unchecked. A spiritual virus called false teachers and their false teaching that, uh, that become troublemakers in the church. Listen, they are a deadly contagion that we must watch out for. And Paul tells us here, we need to establish social distancing from them, okay? Turn away from them. But listen, Christ is greater than COVID, and he is greater than the threat of false teachers and their false teaching. That's why Paul suddenly and passionately interrupts the gospel unity he's been talking about in verses 1 through 16 and then 21 through 23 because gospel unity advances the gospel mission. Paul interrupts his unifying greetings to drive this point home. I'm telling you, as you read through this passage, you're like, He's giving greetings, and then he pauses, and then he continues with greetings. What's up with that? It is so unusual that some scholars and students of Scripture think it doesn't belong here. But I would say to you, it does belong here, and I want to give you three reasons for this interruption. The first is this. Paul's present purpose is unity. And by literally putting this interruption here, he illustrates... Here's what happens if you don't watch out. 
Here's what happens if you don't turn away. This beautiful unity will be disrupted and you will be derailed from your mission. And so he really fits it right there. And so rather than questioning, does it belong here? We should realize the Holy Spirit has placed it here and Paul wants it here for this exact reason. Don't let anyone or anything interrupt your unity like I'm interrupting it with this warning. The second reason is Paul's past problems with disunity. If you notice, he just said, greetings from all the churches of Christ. Well, he's referring to all these churches that he's planted in the East. And we know from the letters of Paul in the book of Acts that every time God plants a people, Satan does a counterattack. It seemed like Wherever Paul went, troublemakers were sure to follow. And Paul knows the threat of disunity. And so what he's saying is, look, I know you guys are mature. I know you're unified. I've affirmed that again and again. And he will do so again in verse 19. But he says, listen, from my past experience, I know trouble is coming. In LifeBridge, that is a reminder for us as well. It's not if but when. So watch out, steer clear. And the third reason for the interruption is this, Paul's future plans to advance the gospel. Let me say it again, we learned it in the first lesson in this series, gospel unity advances gospel mission. This interruption anticipates Paul's future concern that disunity may hinder their potential partnership to advance the gospel. Paul wants to, could we say, initiate protocols to avoid catching the deadly virus of false teaching whose symptoms are division that ruins gospel unity and stumbling blocks or hindrances that hinder the advance of the gospel. Their future partnership depends on unity to advance the mission. And if I had time, I would tell you stories of churches where false teaching entered into the pulpit, entered into the pews, and totally uh, devastated their missionary outreach, totally redefined missions. Listen, gospel unity around true doctrine advances gospel mission. And so as a church, we must be vigilant to protect it. But the question is, how do we do it? And so Paul gives us three ways to protect our gospel unity to advance the gospel. And here, I'll give them to you right up front. Learn to discern, learn to defend, and learn to depend. Let's take a look at the first. Learn to discern what causes disunity and what this passage is all about. It just states up front what causes disunity is this. False teachers with their false teaching, cause divisions in the church that will hinder the advance of the gospel. False teachers and false teaching. So let's learn how to discern this morning, okay? First of all, learn to discern their divisive presence. Now, what Paul does in verse 17 is he doesn't tell us who these false teachers are, and he doesn't tell us what their false teaching does, it's, it's general. It's non-specific. But the point is, 
the consequences of it. So we need to discern their divisive presence. And he links two words together here. Dissensions or divisions, and he links that with hindrances and obstacles. Now, the only other time that dissensions is used in Scripture, Paul uses it in Galatians 5.20 as one of the many divisive works of the flesh. And this word does not simply refer to someone who's hard to get along with or is disagreeable. You know, Uncle Joe, he's hard to get along with. Let's turn away from him. No, that's not what this is about. It's not talking, it's not talking about a sharp disagreement that separates friends or can ruin a relationship. Instead, it refers to anyone who is constantly in a state of being a divisive person due to holding, living, teaching what is contrary to sound doctrine. Notice again in verse 17, contrary to the teaching which you have learned. And so we don't use this verse to rebuke and push away people that are hard to get along with. No, it refers to false teachers and their false teaching. And then notice what happens. The dissension becomes a stumbling block. It becomes a hindrance. Paul's concern is once again that gospel maturity will promote gospel unity that advances gospel mission. Because here's the reality. Sound doctrine and false doctrine cannot coexist in the same person in the same church. One or the other will win out. One or the other will push out. And Paul says, watch it, look for it, steer clear of it. But it's hard to discern their divisive presence because they use deceptive words. And so here's the second thing to learn to discern. Learn to discern their deceptive words. Look at verse 18. For such men or such people. See, it's their characteristics he's talking about. Because listen, false teachers can be anyone. It can be me in this pulpit. It can be someone you've looked up to all your life. It's anyone who are slaves not to our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own selfish appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. That's how the New American Standard translates that word naive, and it's a good way to translate it. Listen, they will, we need to learn to discern that they will speak well, but act wickedly. So watch out. They will flatter you in your biblical, unbiblical thinking. They will encourage you in your ungodliness. So watch out. They will sweet talk you into drinking the poison of their progressive Christianity. They encourage you to believe in yourself, satisfy yourself, and never to deny yourself anything that your heart craves or desires, so watch out. They offer to your flesh that which your flesh most wants to hear. You can have your best life now. And it requires no changes and no it makes no demands on you, and it, make, it does not require any change in what you think, who you are, or how you live. They present the gospel in a way that requires no repentance, 
There's lots of God talk, but no gospel talk. They preach a Jesus that requires no lordship. They're slaves to their own selfish desires, not slaves to our Savior and Lord. They profess a salvation that results in no change. They have a form of godliness, Paul says, but they lack the power to change lives, including their own. They practice a faith that results in no obedience. Jude says they're clouds without water and they're trees without fruit. They promise a forgiveness that requires no judgment, no atoning blood, no satisfaction of God's wrath, no substitution for sinners, no cross. They're big on the good news, but rarely, if ever, speak of the bad news. We must learn to discern their, decept- their divisive presence and these kind of deceptive words. And why? Why is this so urgent? Why is this so important? Because of their destructive fruit. We must learn to discern their destructive fruit. If you look through this passage, you will see the six fruits of falsehood. So let's take a look at them. First of all, false fruits divide the local church. This is his main idea. There is, but listen, when we talk about division, we need to understand there's good division and there's bad division, okay? There's good division because the gospel causes a division between believers and unbelievers. You preach the gospel and you believe it and there will be a division in home, in family, in work. And the cross presents an obstacle, a hindrance to the world who desires power and, and worldly wisdom. But the division that Paul is talking about is bad division caused by a false gospel, false teachers, and their false teaching. And here's how it happens. They cause a bad division by teaching what's contrary to sound doctrine. And, they, in, they, they, and when they take root in a church, then people have to start making choices. Am I going to listen to this or am I going to listen to them? And they can begin to question their leaders who have been teaching the gospel truly. And it just creates a confusion. And also, they begin to cause good, godly people to question what they've always been taught. Now, I want to stop here and make a reminder for all of us, and it's this. It's okay to question what you are learning. We encourage that. It's okay to question what you've learned in in the past and to seek to improve and correct and build on it. It's even okay for you to question the leaders and the pastors here in our church. But here's what we must understand. Our questioning and the standard by which we question, the standard by which we correct is sound doctrine. It's the biblical standard of the Bible. And we are all leaders, everyone, accountable to the authority of Scripture. The second false fruit is false fruit that disobeys the Lord. These false teachers use false doctrine as an excuse to remain enslaved to their own sinful and selfish appetites. We see this right here in verse 18. But I want you to turn back to Romans 6. Look at Romans 6, 17. 
Notice what the opposite is supposed to be. Romans 6, 17 and 18. Notice what Paul says. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, past tense, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. That's the opposite of what false doctrine seeks to do. A third reason for its destructiveness is the false fruit deceives the undiscerning. It deceives the unsuspecting. That's in verse 18. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting or the naive. This same person is called in Proverbs the simple. Here we need to be reminded, though, that there's a difference between the deceivers and the unsuspecting who are being deceived. Okay, we don't turn away from those who due to their immaturity or due to their unpreparedness are being duped. We seek to help them. We seek to restore them. We seek to instruct them. We turn away from those who are influencing them. Now, the simple or the unsuspecting are those who have failed to learn to discern. Listen, here's how you know if you're simple. You don't learn from this passage. Here's how you know if you're naive. You don't apply this message today. Here's the reality. The undiscerning are the unsuspecting because they are unprepared. They lack the knowledge, the understanding, and the wisdom that's required to discern and to detect false teachers and their false teaching. In other words, they failed to keep the batteries charged in their God-given heresy meter. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit is given to you, and the Holy Spirit is like a God-given heresy meter. And, and listen, if you're a believer, you can smell and you can sniff out, even if you don't fully understand false doctrine. But we have a responsibility to keep the battery charged. We have the responsibility to keep it turned on. Now, there's a fourth false fruit, and it's this. Why do we need to be this discerning? The false fruit damns the deceived. Listen, such teaching if believed and embraced, will lead to eternal damnation. And Jude 4 makes this so clear. He says this, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into lawlessness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They're talking about the same kind of people. False teachers and their false doctrine aren't to be trifled with. They lead people to reject the true God and the true gospel, which leads to false professions and a false assurance of salvation. Listen, false doctrine is not simply deceptive, It's not simply divisive, it's deadly. And that leads us to the fifth false fruit, and it's this. False fruit derails the mission to reach the unreached. It derails the mission. Listen, uh, there's so many ways false doctrine undermines 
global outreach and personal evangelism with a false gospel, with a false Jesus, with a false hope. But it also derails the mission to the unreached. Why? Because it divides us. We have to focus on what's the error. It, it distracts us. We have to, to turn our attention outward and deal what's happening with the false doctrine inward. You say, does that really happen? Yeah, look at the letter to Jude. Jude starts out his letter by saying, I was sitting down to write to you about our common salvation. Yeah, but certain men have creeped in. And so I have to divert to this urgent warning. Listen, a heresy like universalism cuts the lifeblood of gospel outreach because it eliminates the urgency and the necessity of missions. I mean, after all, why continue with a missions program if everyone is going to be saved in the end? Finally, sixth, the false fruit is demonic in its source. It's very interesting in this passage how Paul very subtly brings this out. He, he waits to verse 20 where he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan. It's the devil that is behind all of this. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4, Paul is so bold as to say this, but the Spirit says expressly, in later times, some shall fall away from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of demons. Listen, the devil was a liar and a deceiver from the very beginning. And where there is false teaching, and where there are false teachers, there is a demonic influence that we must discern. So the first way to protect our gospel unity as a church is to learn to discern what and who causes disunity. Watch out. They're, decisive, they're divisive, they're deceptive, and they're destructive. But there is a more proactive way to protect our unity. And number two, it's this. Learn to defend what promotes unity. Learn to defend what promotes unity. I'm going to give you four of them here. They're right out of this passage. And the first one is having watched out, the first thing you do is you turn away. You turn away from false teachers. Now, this word is interesting because it, it can be applied in one of two ways. If you're already under the influence of false teachers, then turn away. Totally turn away. This same word is used for apostasy, turning away from the true God. Here it's being used, turn away from false gods and false gospels. But it can also mean just stay away. So maybe you're not listening to a false teacher on a podcast or online or on TV. Listen, and I have no one in mind here, but over 30 years of, of ministry, it, it, it amazes me how good, godly, well-taught people will still listen to false teachers, you know, online or on TV. But listen, stay away. Stay away, stay far away. And again... This is hard to do because this means there is a division, okay? 
It's hard to do when your beloved pastor becomes a false teacher, and they can. It's hard to do when someone you have followed for many years or maybe taught you becomes a false teacher, and you have to turn away and stay away. And let me say very clearly, it doesn't mean you are mean to them. It doesn't mean you stop loving them. It just means you don't remain under and within the circle of their influence and their false doctrine. Secondly, having turned away, hold fast to sound doctrine. Hold fast to sound doctrine. I love this in verse 17 where he subtly says this. He says, look, I urge you, keep an eye on those. Watch out for those who cause decisions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned. You know better. You have been taught better. Now hold fast to what you have learned. And this word learn is rooted in the same word for discipleship in the New Testament. He's saying, look, you've been discipled. Now hold fast to what you have learned. How do you learn to discern? How do you learn to defend? You learn the Bible. You study sound doctrine. You get discipled in the basics of the Christian life. You don't depend on one meal a week to get you through. You see, in this passage, God is graciously confronting us with some questions that I think in this pandemic are more important than ever. Are you reading your Bible? Are you studying your Bible? When's the last time you read a basic work on theology or doctrine? You say, oh, Chris, I I don't have degrees like you. I don't study like you and, and Bruce. No, there I can get resources into your hands that you can understand and you can learn sound doctrine. Are you praying your Bible? Are you praying the Scriptures back to God? Are you sharpening the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Or in this pandemic, has it become rusty and dusty as it sits unused until you pick it up, perhaps, to bring it to church? But you know, it's not enough to hold fast to what you know. We must live it out with gospel obedience. And that's the third way we defend what promotes gospel unity. It's live out gospel obedience. Do you see the contrast? Look in your Bibles between verses 18 and 19. In verse 18, these men and women are teaching doctrine that promotes stain in your sin. Oh, it's okay. Grace covers that. It's okay. You're forgiven. It's okay. God understands. But in verse 19, here's what Paul says about the Roman Christians. For the report, the testimony, the witness of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. One of the reasons Paul was concerned is because the Satan, because he knew that Satan seeks to disrupt whatever God is doing. And he's saying, look, you guys are doing well, but watch out, watch out. And this obedience that he's talking about in verse 19, well, when you read the book of Romans, you know it's the obedience that comes from saving faith. God is using, listen to me, God is using this pandemic 
to shake the nations, but he's also using it to sift the people of God. He is using this to reveal those who are casual Christians. He is using this to reveal those who are living double lives. Christians who show up on Sunday, but are willfully choosing to live in sin the rest of the week. Sin in the lives, listen, listen, sin in the lives of God people is divisive. It separates you from your loving Lord and Savior, and it separates us from one another. And listen, if there's one thing I've learned to discern over these decades of ministry is that there's always this pattern that as we embrace sin, whether hidden or hypocritical, as we embrace a sinful lifestyle, we separate from the local church. It happens all the time. And I'm telling you that in this pandemic, with the stress and the anxiety, if we're not careful, we will seek comfort, we will seek pleasure, we will seek release in those things that are sinful and contrary to the gospel. And how do God's people... But and let me say this. I know that's a strong word, but it's a strong reality. So how do we respond to those who become enslaved to sin? Let me say clearly, LifeBridge, as a church, we don't condemn them and turn away from them. No, we're, we're not talking about the false teachers. We're talking about those who are getting duped by a false gospel. And what we do is we love them, we pursue them with the gospel. We lovingly and patiently confront them and call them back to repentance. We long for them to be restored to life-giving fellowship with the Lord and with our local church. Well, there's one last way we learn to defend what promotes gospel unity, and it's this. Be wise in advancing the gospel. Be wise in advancing the gospel. Look at in your Bibles at verse 19. Having said that their obedience is widely reported, and he rejoices, he says this, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I want you to be diligent students in all that is good and godly. Amen? But I don't even want you to begin dabbling in anything that is evil. And it is a persistent temptation. And there are always professing Christians who will try to convince God's people and God's churches that the way to reach worldly people is to be worldly. The way to reach sinful people, well, you know, if you haven't sinned like them, you can't reach them. The way to advance the gospel is you kind of got to get familiar with evil. You kind of got to live the worldly lifestyle. You've got to just, you know, and listen, we know we've got to bridge the gap. We, we know we have to be bridge builders, and we have to relate, and we don't talk down, and we don't say apart and kind of throw gospel bombs, you know, at them. But at the same time, Listen, you can, you can help a pig get a bath without getting in the mud and, and wallowing in it. And that's what he's saying here. Here's what Jesus said. 
when he sent out people. He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Well, the first way we protect our gospel learn, uh, unity is we've got to learn to discern what causes disunity. Secondly, we've got to learn to defend what promotes unity. And the third is a warning that tells us you can't do this on your own. I can't do it. See, if you take a message like this, you might leave here thinking, you know what, I need more education, then I'll be able to discern. You might think, oh, I'm a new Christian, I need more time as a Christian, then I'll be able to discern and defend. You might be thinking, I need to be reading my Bible more. And you do, but that's not enough. You may be thinking, I need to pray longer. You probably do. I probably do, but that's not enough. You might think, I need to go to church more. Well, we all need that. But that's not what it is. Ultimately, ultimately, what we must learn to do is we must learn to depend on the Almighty Trinity. We must learn to depend on the Almighty Trinity. And that's why Paul ends this passage so beautifully, so powerfully with verse 20. Look at it. Look at it. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So let's look at this. Let's understand this. Because throughout this series, in 15 and 16, Paul has constantly brought us back to the Almighty Trinity. And he's doing it again. Because, listen, it's not presidents, it's not policies, it's not protocols that are going to protect our unity in the gospel of Christ. It's the triune God. And the greatest danger we face in hard times is the virus of sin and selfishness and the satanic temptation to be divisive to be deceived by false doctrine that is so destructive. So here's what we need to do. First of all, he says, depend on the Father's victorious plan. That's what verse 20 is about. The Father's victorious plan. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, what is Paul doing here? Well, he's reminding us as the church that God the Father is the God of peace who is large and in charge, and he knows what's going on in your life, in our city, in our nation, and in our world. And no matter how hard your life might be right now, no matter how hard it may get in the future, the God of peace is fulfilling his victorious plan to crush the head of the enemy under our feet. Do you see how ironic that is? God of peace crushing. We don't usually put those two ideas together. We tend to think of peace as the absence of conflict. But in in the Bible, peace is the presence of Christ to powerfully deliver his people and defeat his enemies. And so this morning, if you bowed your heart to him, you will be saved in the end. And if this morning you're still resisting, you're still rejecting, and in your heart of hearts you're rebelling against God's sovereignty over your lives, then you will be crushed in the end. 
You see, Paul is drawing our minds back to Genesis 3.15, where the gospel was first promised to Adam and Eve. And this is so beautiful, because we were there with them, and there they were. The serpent, the deceiver, the liar had deceived Eve and caused Adam to disobey. There they are in their state of having been deceived, having disobeyed, and they're there in their division, pointing fingers at one another and at God, and God speaks a promise of the gospel to them in Genesis 3.15, and he speaks it to the enemy, the sneaky snake. He says to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise, literally crush You on the head, and you shall bruise, bite him on the heel. You see, the promise is there's coming a head crusher who will destroy the heel biter. The God of peace will be victorious. It will come at a heavy price. The Son of God will become the seed of the woman and will take on our sins, though he is sinless. And he will die as our substitute on the cross. And one day... The one who received the poisonous bite on his heel will also crush the head of the serpent. It's already been accomplished on the cross, but we don't see it yet. But one day we'll see it. But look, we also take part in it. All the scriptures talk about putting Christ's feet in victory over his enemies. But here he says, I will put your enemy under your feet. We get to take part in it, but only as we are in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul says in verse 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We must depend on the Son's marvelous grace. Listen, you don't get in on the victorious plan unless you have received His marvelous grace. And isn't it wonderful? Paul always begins his letters, grace to you. He always ends his letters, grace be with you. And in between, he's always talking about grace for you. Listen, we've got to learn to depend not on our own resources, our own intellect, our own wisdom, we got to depend on the grace of the Lord. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen? That is our hope. And even though Paul never mentions the Holy Spirit in chapter 16, I would say to you that the third thing we must do is depend on the Spirit's judicious truth. You say, how are we going to have sound judgment? How are we going to become discerning? There's only two ways. The Spirit of God within you and the Scriptures before you that he has inspired. It makes me think of 1 John 4, 1 through 6, where the Spirit and the Scriptures are how we discern between truth and error. And Paul is pointing us to the Scriptures, and he's pointing us to the Spirit that inspired them. And he says, look, look, beloved, depend on the Almighty Trinity, the victorious plan, 
the marvelous grace of the Son, and the judicious truth of the Spirit. And you know what the result will be if we will take heed this morning? The result will be gospel unity will be protected and gospel mission will be advanced. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of the Son and by the power of the Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would seal this warning, seal the wisdom of your word into our hearts. And, Lord, let us never be deceived by the lies and the deceit of false teachers. Let us never give in to the temptation of the sneaky snake that wants us to question God and pursue sin, thinking we will get away with it. Lord, you will crush all who live that way. You will crush. But first you crushed your son so that grace, marvelous grace, could be extended to all of us. And so, Father, I pray that we will again affirm your lordship over our lives. We pray that we will again commit ourselves to learning studying, applying, living the true sound doctrine that gives us life and gives it abundantly. And Father, give us a broken spirit and a broken heart towards those entrapped. May we be patient, loving, and kind as we share the hope of the gospel. We say and we do and we live for the fame of your name. It's in the name of your son we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, doesn't that make you want to give back to God? This is the time in our service where we give back to him. The offering box is there. You give online. But take a moment here to be thankful and to recognize that every good gift comes down from above. And if you need help, if you need help spiritually, physically, financially, Ministry continues. We are still the church, and we are still going to be the church. So let me end with this benediction. I can't improve on Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. You're dismissed.